So I'd like to um, offer some <coughs> practice instructions for today. We began um, with this retreat with the mindfulness of the body. And we've been staying, of course, very close to the body. It's within the body that all of our experiences arise. Martha Elliott once uh, wrote in a poem that your history is here inside your body. Your body is your storehouse of all of its learnings and thoughts and experiences. And the Buddha says in the Samyutta Nikaya that within this fathom-long body, with its thoughts and emotions, is the world, its origin, its cessation, and the path leading to peace and freedom within this fathom-long body. We've been attending with mindfulness of the body, of the breath, walking, eating, different activities of the body, the bending, the stretching, the showering, the toileting, ever widening in that circle within the body comes its feeling tones of experience pleasant ones, unpleasant neutral or neither and becoming mindful of these feeling tones that are precursors if we're not that mindful into full-blown reactivities <coughs> In the four foundations of mindfulness, the, each of these foundations is interrelated. Work with one and the others arise quite naturally. So in furthering and expanding the field of awareness in the body, in its feeling tones of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, there may also, of course, arise the states of the mind and the heart or thoughts and emotions. Quite clearly, they've been visiting us quite often. So as our practice expands to cover the totality of our human experience of the body, thoughts and emotions, Becoming mindful to include that when there's some thoughts and emotions, let it be in the forefront of awareness to be acknowledged as phenomena, and particularly noticing its beginnings, and if you're unable to see the beginnings, of course, notice when they're happening, and noticing they're leaving. Begin to notice the beginnings and endings of the states of the mind and the heart.
So staying close to the body, letting perhaps the breath be the anchor that we've been working with. Again, within this fathom-long body lies our world. If some states of the mind and the heart arise and are very prominent, letting that be in the field of awareness to be acknowledged, to be noted that they come and that they go. Noticing the beginnings and endings of the mind states, noticing at times the beginnings and endings of the feeling tones of experience, noticing at times the <coughs> beginnings and endings of the breath coming in and out, or perhaps within the body a sound arises <coughs> and noticing its eventual passing. A number of years ago, <coughs> I remember writing this down. Um, Mary Grace talked about in any experience, it'll either stay the same, improve, or get worse. And so just continuing to stay with experience, and you'll notice that it never <coughs> always stays the same. It never always improves. It never always stays worse. It's coming and going. The ephemeral, elusive nature of the body and the mind. So use the breath mindfulness in the body to anchor into the moment. If what arises out of that is the feeling tones of experience or various mind states of the heart or the mind, thoughts and emotions, being mindful of their comings and goings. Being present. And in the spirit of simplicity, let's make our practice simple. Easy does it, one moment at a time. Sometimes it's very helpful to just stay with the anchor of the breath. If it feels that it's getting confusing, getting lost, getting ahead of ourselves or behind ourselves, Beginning to just take note, become aware of this changing nature of the breath, at times the feeling tones, that they become prominent and distinct, or what becomes prominent is the states of the mind and heart, thoughts and emotions, noticing their beginnings and endings, being present.
It's like sitting like an internal meteorologist, just being mindful of the different weather systems, sweeping in and out of awareness, the feeling tones, the mind states, ever-changing, being present.
And so just to offer as a point of reference, <coughs> since I last spoke, which was about nine minutes ago, <coughs> many thoughts, emotions, the state of the heart and the mind have come and gone, being present.
time for some questions, whether it's pertaining to the instructions or perhaps from last night's talk, <coughs> or something that's just really bugging me about the practice that's related to your practice deeply to help it to be understood. seems like we pendulate going seems like we're going in it and then we come back out and um, <coughs> of course once one becomes aware that they are entering into the world of thoughts or analyzing that's the moment that we've awakened and we can discern in that moment to move back in if that's what internally we feel pulled to do or not, or maybe it's to go back to the breath. So we have to see. Uh, I think 
few days ago, we were talking about this mindful discernment, the discerning, moving in. And so, again, that faculty of awareness, though, is helping us to recognize, oh, here I am analyzing, spinning, and that moment, where do you want to bring your practice to? So I think of just really offering a, a sense of helping to for us to recognize inside ourselves, oh, here's analyzing. That's not really serving. I'm just spinning and spinning, and it's really not going anywhere. You can also, if you're if you're really getting <coughs> heavy, stay in your body. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're angry, for example, we can often feel anger in our body. Jaws <coughs> clenched, or it's in your belly, something like that. So stay with the body sensation, and you need keep bringing yourself out of the thought when it begins to analyze or play out the scene or whatever it is that you're doing. And you know, one thing that I notice is that when I do that, analyze, I, I noticed in my own experience that it's a way to get me out of the uncomfortable because mm-hmm. the feeling is uncomfortable. But as in my own practice, I've learned in time that the feeling is where the action is and, that, and I'm willing to to try to work to open into that space. And uh, w- one thing we're also trying to get across here is as we do this very intense and probably the most noblest of works a human being can do, encountering their own mind, may we do it with the lightest of touches, with that sense of compassion as we work with this and holding space. There's a. <coughs> is it okay to name it? Name it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's this marvelous story that um, at some point might go into more, but the story of the vigil of Siddhartha Gautama sitting underneath the Bodhi tree, the, the night and the dawn of his awakening, where Mara, the, some will say Mara is, a, soul, uh, is a, a, a real being, others will say it's a state of mind, but where the Siddhartha Gautama was being visited with all this greed and hatred and ignorance that was just bombarding at him. And when, it, when Mara approached, Siddhartha Gautama said, I see you. And just the seeing, the naming, the noting was very powerful. That's, that's knowledge, that's awareness. Please. Um, the talk last night was very powerful, very uh, rigid. It was very clear. I felt in the spirit the clearness. And um, like an ice cream. You're cooling it down. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to, um, I wanted you to, even though you you mentioned Kumi, and and my spirit, I know what Kumi is, but can you give like a couple examples so that resonates really well with me? So when I go to do that, I. Your best attachment story, would you? <laughs> uh, my best attachment story is the um, uh, cleaning I experience every day. I have a young son, <laughs> two-year-old. I, you know, I said something about being in love. I'm in love. Swept away. 
<laughs> headlong, but not grim and obsessed. My heart's open, gushing in love. Wouldn't want to stop it. Couldn't stop it. Totally clinging to him being a two-year-old. He's going to turn three in a month. Totally clinging to him being a two-year-old. Just the cuteness, you know. He loves his daddy and everything. <laughs> now, I am aware that that's happening. I'm not fighting it. I'm not judging it. I'm not trying to push it away. It's just how it is. So that's an example. If I see the clinging, I'm not... It's just being a human being. But I'm holding on to them. <laughs> so if you can relate to that. And just one other thing. So that's one kind of clinging, but we bring the awareness to it. So it shifts our relationship. It's not like we have to stop being human beings. <coughs> and just to think, but we also get into trouble when there's the kind of clinging where we can't bring the awareness to it and we can't find some perspective on it too. And that's when it sweeps us away. And then... And if when Ethan is 12, <laughs> Richard is still hoping that he should be too, that's really a problem. <laughs> okay? Please. Question. I'm just curious about the religious side of um, Buddhism versus... Um, we can even separate the two. You know, I I, I feel um, you know there's no worshiping going on in here other than uh, you know just the practice of, of noticing and coming back, noticing and coming back. But when I walk around here and I see all the statues of Buddha mm-hmm. and whatnot, I, I get a sense that we're doing something different in here. That you know, the real Buddha, you know, the real yogis are. They're on to something else. And can you just speak to the difference? Separation? We are in a Tibetan Buddhist meditation center. And there's a lot of similarities between that and the Theravadan tradition that Vipassana meditation comes out of that we are practicing. Theravada is the way of the elders. It's a very old form of Buddhism. And... You know, even the Buddha, I believe, would not say that Buddhism, first of all, the Buddha wasn't a Buddhist as we know. And there's an old saying about be a Buddha, not be a Buddhist. And the teachings of Buddhism, I'm not sure what we mean by the word religion, but when we speak of the teachings, it's, it's in some ways psychologically oriented towards the purification of mind, the eradication of greed, hatred, and ignorance. And so there's a very strong emphasis in this mental development of the heart and the mind. And what might, I think it depends on what we call to be religious, like you probably have seen us bowing to the Buddha. And so one might look at, well, that's, that's a religious thing, I'm bowing to a graven idol image. Mm-hmm. And But actually this this we find that in a lot of these forms, there's actually rich psychological meaning. So the bowing, like the head, the two arms, the two feet, represent five points that are touching the ground and that we are reflecting upon the five allies of practice, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, 
my mother and father, because without them I wouldn't be here, and my teacher that has brought me onto the path of awakening. And so what we find that there actually is very rich meaning that on the outside might look like, oh, just bound to some graven image, but on the inside there is very rich texture and meaning. And there is, um, even with all of the images here, when we begin to understand what's inside the image, walking around looking at the eight verses, for example, so powerful of a teaching. So... um, I know there's more to say, and I'll let my colleagues jump in. <laughs> I also want to add, uh, I appreciate everything Bob said, that it's, it gets back to skillful means, and of course, even there's so many paths and religions and spiritual traditions, and then even within Buddhism, it's quite a range. We could be in a Soto Zen center, and that would be a whole other thing, right? There's Chan Buddhists, so many. So, for some people, like I personally, I'm very respectful because right each path. For some people, it really these forms really uplift the heart and gladden the mind, and so they're really supportive. And for others, like I don't personally, and I'm not, I'm respectful, but it's just not my path. So like I don't relate to a lot of the form, and and so the way we're practicing is more a natural fit for me. So it's finding what matches, and also to say within all these different, including within Theravada, there can be people who more get into really what we might classically think of as the religion and the beliefs, and and that's fine. I mean, it's not judging it. That's how it is for them. And then there'll be the people who take the form and don't get so into just the religious and the beliefs, and it's more how does it support their awakening. So it's finding what works for us and also being respectful, uh, and I didn't think you were not being respectful, you're just asking a good question, but I just want to say, being respectful of, we're all so different, and we, we're not all going to relate to the same form, outer form. And one of the interesting things that's happening in Western Buddhist practice is that there are people in each of the traditions who do some, of, I do some Tibetan practice, for example, and there are people in the Tibetan world who come to Vipassana retreats, so it's, it's getting mixed up a little bit, and where it will be in another 150 or 200 years, who knows? You know, There'll be something probably that looks like Western Buddhist practice. So, so I think it's um, yeah, getting time for our <coughs> interviews. I don't know if there's any announcements. Yes. I just wanted to uh, um, mention that um, one of the things that's happening here in the hubbub that you might have noticed out about not only people coming to hike and you know, walk their dogs on a beautiful day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.